0: Hey, everybody. It's been a while. Um, First of all, sorry for the delay in uh, the release of the podcasts. Uh, I know we normally release every two weeks. Uh, Coronavirus has made things more and more complicated for us out here. My uh, editor actually got locked up in quarantine uh, for two weeks and um, it was very, (laughs) there's no way for me to get access to him or to get the laptop that had the file to him uh, in, in a quick and easy fashion. I actually had to mail um, the laptop to him in a box, uh, using snail mail, um, to even uh, get get him, uh, this podcast to edit. Uh, anyways, we've done it. He just got out of quarantine, by the way. He's fine. No coronavirus. Um, I'm recording this. It's about 1041 at night over here in Seoul. Um, and we're just going to release the next podcast, uh, next week. So we get all caught up. So thank you guys for being patient, understanding, um, But yeah, the world's kind of in a crazy spot right now. So uh, the podcast will continue on. Uh, Also, quick announcement before we start the show. uh, I am now streaming on Twitch. Uh, Right now, it's going to be every Monday afternoon and Thursday afternoon. Uh, I usually start at around 1 p.m. KST, sometimes a little bit earlier, sometimes a little bit later, but... If you guys follow me on Twitter Instagram, I'll be announcing when the stream starts then. Uh, But yeah, feel free to join uh, and hang out. We've been doing a lot of StarCraft uh, laddering and uh, slowly getting my skills back since my hands have recovered from my repetitive stress injury. Um, And then also, uh, for future podcast episodes, we do still have some uh, episodes that were recorded and saved at Evo Tokyo. Um, but right now, with coronavirus, it's kind of screwing up the whole business model for this podcast because uh, the way I was envisioning this podcast working was every time people would travel to Korea for esports related work, uh, you know, and there's tons of events out here all the time. Uh, pretty much everybody in the industry ends up coming through Seoul at some point in time. I would grab them and do a quick interview. Um, and in and, and this way, we'd have a really global representation. But as we all know, Basically, nobody's traveling anywhere right now. Um, Again, unfortunately, we do still have some backup uh, interviews, uh, conversations that we recorded. But um, I'm going to have to start getting creative here for who I'm finding to bring on the show. Or there might be some repeat guests. So I appreciate you guys understanding that as well. Um, So this episode of the podcast was... A very special interview because this guy rarely does interviews. It's Mr. Wizard. Some of you guys might not be familiar with that name but he is the organizer for EVO. EVO of course being I think the most iconic uh, fighting game tournament I- in the world. Um, you know it, it, they represent all different types of fighting games. Uh, the, the show out that I should say excuse me the, the turnout is huge and um Anyways, I, I think this is an interesting uh interview because this is one of the last events that ever took place um in esports before coronavirus hit and shut everything down, so I look forward to the day we can all go to events again in the future. So I'm really grateful Mr. Wizard uh took the chance to sit down and talk to me. Um yeah, that's it. So, now on to the interview. So, are you okay we just start right now? Yeah. Jump go in? For it. All right, cool. Um So, First of all, thank you for doing this. I know you're probably pretty busy uh, running Evo. Um, I thought to to start the interview, um, I'd ask you, what games did you grow up playing?
1: Uh, I grew up playing mostly like midway games. So Killer Instinct, Primal Rage, like all the weird ones that people generally didn't play. Yeah. And then I kind of migrated over to the more popular ones like Street Fighter and Tekken as it went along. But I basically played anything that was competitive at the time
0: and was that more in arcades or was that yeah, at home
1: definitely it was all arcades back in the yeah. day there really wasn't console or online play
0: this was 20 years ago so yeah it wasn't really out there it was um for fighting games were you always gravitated towards that or were you doing like pinball games or some of these like beat-em-up games um, I, I played everything that was in the arcade. Yeah, I played yeah. Top
1: Skater. I played driving games. I played just whatever was fun
0: to me. Yeah.
1: So, but I would play those games in a downtime when there maybe wasn't competition in the arcade, and then maybe later towards the nighttime when all the people kind of came into play, then I gravitate over to the fighting games and play those people.
0: Yeah. Did you did you have like any rivalries when you'd go to the arcade, or were you? interested in trying to dominate other players or was this more like escapism just going somewhere to hang out and you know the thing about arcades is that they're they're antisocial and social at the same time right what what, what attracted you to that
1: uh i mostly went to the arcades for competition like you just you just want to win and beat people up but then yeah sometimes you'll mesh with a player and he becomes a good friend and then you just hang out with him more but i think mostly it was very i was very competitive at a young age so just wanted to win and beat him up is a really easy gauge yeah. to find
0: out who's better real fast. Did you end up uh, doing uh, like a lot of console games or, or any single player stuff? I've always been fascinated with multiplayer games and, and how people in, engage them because there are people that only play multiplayer; they have no interest in story. And then there's people that are, are absolutely hardcore into you know like JRPGs, take 80 hours to finish. W- what is Your relationship with games like Uh,
1: that? Like, back in the day, I would definitely play, like, role-playing games or or Final Fantasy or or something like that, where it's pretty easy to beat or it takes you three to four days to beat it or whatever. Uh, I just, like, later on in life, it became the multiplayer kind of fun stuff where it's competitive. But I went through all the games of Nintendo and and Sega and all that stuff back in the day as well. So I was just an all-around gamer back then.
0: So we're here at Evo. Um this tournament's massive. It's actually meant a lot to me as as a fan watching. Um, I've always been into one on one games growing up. I mean, team games are cool, but there's something about dominating in a one on one game that I've just found. I get such a high off of it. Um, how did you end up here? In in, in, in it, it, this is such a unique environment because it's not just that EO is big for a game. It's it's the fighting game tournament. Right? Can, can you tell me a little bit about like. How you started out going to arcades and, and competing against people, and now you're in charge of this major cultural influence globally. Right.
1: Uh, when I was growing up, we played at an arcade called Southern Hills Golf Land. And at the time, it was the probably the most competitive arcade that was around 20 years ago. So we're always throwing tournaments. We're always doing stuff to bring people in and kind of figure out who's the best. And the uh, manager of Southern Hills at the time... He said, you were great at bringing people in and he obviously wants to make money. So he's like, you guys should, you should work for Southern Hills and just do tournaments on the weekends. And I basically worked for the actual golf land company on just the weekends. So I would do just tournaments. And then we kind of started doing, uh, like midweek tournaments just to kind of engage the players, get them to come in during the week. And then that kind of snowballed into, uh, My business partners, Tom and Tony Cannon, who uh, were running like Battle by the Bay back in the day, and I hooked up with them. And then that kind of just snowballed from a 40 man arcade tournament into what it is today, which is an 18,000 person event in Las (laughs) Vegas. So it's uh, it was definitely a crazy road, but I mean, just everything led to everything else and I right
0: place, right time. So when you started, um, you know, organizing these events. It's always interesting to, to to see where things end up, right? Because I I I can't imagine you thought well, one day we're going to be in Tokyo, and um, you know you have to have security at these events, so people aren't just sneaking in. You know, people are paying money to come down and watch the games, right? Um, when you were doing this, was this like a uh, did did you have an end game plan, or was this more of a step by step process?
1: Uh, in the beginning, it was a hobby, right? Like yeah. we all have jobs, and it's it's a cool little thing to do on the side, and. You kind of don't know where it's going to go, but I mean, for for seven, eight years, we're just doing the same games over and over. Like, yeah. we don't know where this thing's going. It didn't really, it wasn't mainstream. Esports wasn't around. It was right. very underground, very just hidden. And no one wanted to like publicly say, I'm going to a fighting game tournament. Like like yeah. even the Cannon Brothers, when they worked at Microsoft, they would always be there. We're going to Las Vegas, but they wouldn't tell anyone going for like a video game event. But then it kind of just it went on and then when Street Fighter Four hit, it just became like crazy massive and then we kind of just took it from there. But I mean I don't know what the end game is. Like is, is it is it selling off to another company? Is it running this as far as we can take it? Is it just keeping it as pure and underground as we can? Like I don't know. Yeah. But we're in the renaissance of esports now, so we gotta see where it goes. Speaking
0: about um esports is a term. Uh so I obviously have a StarCraft background. Um the word esports came from Korea. Mm-hmm. Um and I think in part the word was there because they wanted to get funding from the government. And if you put sports in something, <laughs> uh, that's smiled upon. Whereas if you put you know, gaming, um, there's even today there's a little bit of a taboo with uh, video games, which I still think is kind of stupid. But you know, it's it's always there. Um, now, when fighting games picked up, uh, a lot of them would say we're not esports, and, and they wanted to distance themselves from that. Um, what was that like for you as a tournament organizer? I mean, do you have any thoughts on the term esports or or, or what? Uh, the FGC views as an eSport and and what they don't want it to be like or what they don't identify with it. I think we were in the same
1: boat. Eva was definitely anti eSports in the beginning because Mm eSports is a very kind of corporate kind of just not what we were. Yeah. And so we pushed it off for a long time and we just try to keep it grassroots and keep yeah. it community based, and just do something fun for the community. And we weren't worried about the money portion or anything. It was right. just let's do something fun for everyone involved. And then as you get along, like you got to get sponsors on board, right. and they're, they're <laughs> all about the esports bandwagon. And then yeah. it just, just kind of snowballs from there into something that uh, is a bigger term. But I, I don't think in general we like the word, but yeah. it's it's there, and we definitely have to embrace it now. Right,
0: right. Um, one thing about Evo. Is that there are so many different publishers at one tournament, um, and that's actually unique for for most events. Um, what is it like working with that many different companies? Uh, they all have different attitudes, uh, I imagine, and um, they probably have different goals for what or visions for their game.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's challenging sometimes. Like it's it's very. <clears throat> Uh, it's very unique and not what we're used to because most of these esports events out there are just either the publisher or the developer running their own events, yeah. and they're just a one kind of game tournament. We're multi things, so every publisher thinks their game should have prime time showcases yeah, That's on. what I was going to ask. It's like, it's, yeah. it's like a, it's basically juggling. Like you kind of figure out what you can do, and and past performance of their games being great. A lot of viewership, a lot of hype moments, stuff like that, and you kind of have to roll dice sometimes. But they—they they all have egos. Yeah, they all want their game prime time, and it's you have to say no to these people sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely a very hard situation. But I think evil in general is a huge marketing tool for these guys. Like we're getting, we're getting we're getting these dudes to tune into people fighting, and we're not really. Getting involved with like their financial side. We're just like hey, We're just trying to do something cool And sometimes they like that and sometimes they don't so it's it's so it's hard sometimes
0: Without putting you on the spot too much. I mean what what are some of the biggest challenges about publishers? in, in your experience
1: uh, It's a It's it's kind of what I mentioned like they just all want their game top placement top billing yeah. They want everyone with their eyes on their yeah. game, and they don't really care who is in the other slots, yeah. but they want the prime placement. And that's one of the biggest concerns, because we've turned EVO Sunday into a spectacle. Yeah. Where we're revealing new DLC and new games, and everyone's tuning in to watch. We have one stream. We don't go like the other days. We're going like five, eight streams, but just Sunday, is just one stream, one set of commentators, all eyes on this event. And sometimes the publishers don't like that their game is not on Sunday for us. Oh, and yeah. So they fight back, and they're just like, "Well, we're not going to work with you anymore." And it's it's a really just a just a really bad situation for for sometimes when you when you talk to these publishers if you don't like go with them or go down their path of where they want you to be.
0: Do they all have different views on on esports in general on, on competitive gaming? I mean, <clears throat> as an example, you look at a game like Smash, which. And this is true for a lot of, of eSports titles. They were never built with the, with eSports in mind, right? I mean, StarCraft's a great example. Like, when Blizzard went to Korea and saw how fast people were playing the game, they didn't anticipate that, right? I mean, StarCraft was actually almost like a city builder in some ways in, in the minds of the people that were making the game. Um, it was a game that wasn't... You weren't supposed to be inputting hotkeys and stuff. And when you look at Smash, um, that was kind of a party game, right? I mean, they were just mixing all their franchises together. Um do you ever find there's like conflicting views on on, on what their game is? It, 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 they view it as competitive. I guess I'm asking about Nintendo specifically here, but
1: yeah, like a lot of the publishers, they're some catch on faster than others. They're yeah. they're obviously willing to embrace what their game is and if it's competitive or not. Uh, in the terms of Smash, the the producer has said many times it's not a fighting game. Yeah, but yet the competitive scene is there, and now they're willing to travel in droves to Evo and show up yeah. for the thing. So he's. He like Smash in general. It very well may be a party game, but you can also play it on a competitive level. Yeah. and we've seen that. Yeah, and if you take out all the the, the non competitive elements like items and the uh, like three or four players on the screen at one time, you can make it competitive. Yeah, and that's what the Smash community has done. They built a really good kind of just showcase of our game can be a fighting game, and uh, we play it like that. And you're not going to tell us otherwise.
0: Um, when you're doing events like this I again I think the thing that makes Evo the most unique is <clears throat> how many different games there are here do you guys ever think about expanding to other um like non fighting games or other one on one games or maybe even team games
1: uh, we've done it in the past. We've had Mario Kart at Evo. We've had oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, we've had some weird games over the years. Yeah. We've kind of tried it as long as there's a competitive scene and it's like a yeah. one-on-one kind of format. We we see we can roll some dice sometimes and, and have some very unique picks. So we've tried stuff in the past, but we kind of like our our. Uh, like, we just stay in our lane. Like, we know fighting yeah. games. We know what we do. We're really good at it. We hold the world championships every year. We're not going to try to expand out because there's other leagues that do that kind of stuff. So, if you wanted to do, like, uh, like shooting, like, Call of Duty, or if you wanted to do StarCraft, or you wanted to do anything, there, there's leagues and other tournaments for that stuff. We just try to stay in our lane.
0: What, um, <laughs> when you look at stressful jobs, uh, event organizer is actually among the highest. I mean, there's... Like people that drive ambulances and police officers and, and work in the military, but actually, event organizer is among the most stressful job that there is. It, it oftentimes hits the top ten list. Um now you've been doing this for a long time. Is it still stressful for you? Or and, and was it stressful to begin with? Uh I almost quit Evo three times.
1: Really? Like straight up like I'm leaving. And just because it's it's drama behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh I don't think it's as stressful as it once was when you have everything on your back and you're still trying to grow your company. And there's, but when you start bringing in money and you can afford to pay people and get some people on your team, they can take a lot of the weight off your back. Yeah. So uh, now it's all just delegating stuff. Like, Hey, you're you're handling your side, everyone, it's all farmed out. And then uh, I just basically am chief fire putter outer. Yeah, Like, if something goes wrong, I, I, I'm i the guy that you go to the top for the answers. And then once you put out, it's pretty stress-free. But uh, the planning stage is obviously a little bit stressed because you have to plan for... And we're the only tournament out there that is still open. Like, yeah. if we got a crazy game like Street Fighter Six and, like, 50,000 people show up, we would try to accommodate it. Yeah, like, And a lot of people, they'll close it off. Or too many people, it's dangerous for their event. But we've always kept it open. And in 2016, Street Fighter V had over 5,000 people. We've never ran a tournament over 2,000 people at the time. So it's just a logistical nightmare at that point. (laughs) Like, hey, we got to get 5,000 people through down to top eight in two days. Yeah. And how do we do that? And that kind of stuff is very stressful. But we're veterans. We've been doing this for 20 years. So it's not like we haven't seen that kind of stuff before. And we have a really great team. So we just work through it. But... There are some nights that you want to pull your hair out and you can't yeah. sleep, and and it's just it's really nerve wracking. But those nights are far and in, in between now.
0: You know, a lot of people don't know about this, but like, I've worked at a lot of events, and there's always some issue with what if this thing catches yeah. on fire. Like uh, when I was doing some work with ESL and Burbank, apparently they all the furniture um, that was used on the set they had to buy a second um like a second couch a second an identical version of that and light it on fire to see how fast it would burn (laughs) they they, they have to spend double on the budget for furniture just to see okay is is this super flammable or not and they have to burn it in front of a a fireman and and then there's like there's always a fireman in the building yeah so yeah
1: so on evo sunday in the actual manly bay arena yeah. We have to pay for a fire marshal to stand by the fire controls Yeah, and we turn off the sprinkler system and his job is to stand there and monitor all of that. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, His yeah. job is to monitor because the system is off because you have 12,000 people in an arena. So his job is to just sit there and make the call if we need to get everyone out of here. But that's his job. And yeah, It's just like weird kind of stuff like that. It always drives me crazy.
0: Um, Speaking of doing events... Um, and all the weird stuff you have to go through, how complicated is it to, to try to book a, a venue overseas?
1: Oh. So, in 2010, yeah. we had announced Evo Japan for the first time. And we had a venue all set up, and we were going to do it two months after the, the Vegas event. And then the big earthquake hit. And oh, then the man. nuclear power plant was offline, leaking stuff, and we had to cancel the event. I still want to do a Japan event, but... Yeah. You can't convince people to go where nuclear stuff is spilled over.
0: Right, right. So that got
1: canceled for like six years, and then like Evo got big when Street Fighter Five hits. We're like, let's try it again. Let's try to get a venue. But the culture in Japan is to not deal with non-Japanese people. It's
0: very insular.
1: It's very, it's very annoying. What is what it is. So <laughs> yeah. like you have to have boots on the ground in Japan. Like going to these hotels and venues and trying to secure something for our company. And at the time, like, we had never tried anything overseas, so it was a logistical nightmare, to be honest. And we we partnered with 4Gamer and, and their parent company, and we kind of just worked together to get a venue, but it's nothing like the U.S. The U.S. is very open and, and welcoming, and they want your business because they're going to bring in a certain amount of people, but in Japan, it's 100% 180
0: the other way. I always feel like in Japan, there's always a way to do something, and it feels like it's a secret, Yeah, <laughs> you know? um it, what is it like getting ready for an event like, I, let's actually go with your very first overseas event What that was in japan is that correct? yes it yeah. wasn't so, so what was the the build-up like to that because like, that has to feel unreal
1: yeah the uh, the expectation is super high like yeah. you're trying to duplicate a very successful u.s event in another country yeah and it's very uh it's very overwhelming it's it's you have you have to just you have to do it perfect the first time. Yeah. Otherwise you're not getting these people to come back and they're expecting what they saw in Vegas to be replicated overseas. And it's not going to be like that. No, I thought the 2018 event was more like Evo 2010. Like it was a little bit behind. It was smaller, but it was more intimate and we're still running tournaments and it was cool. and We had the O C and everything, but it's still 10 years behind on what we've kind of accomplished in the U S. Yeah. So it's, it's it's very daunting and you don't know what's going to happen the first jam we made a bunch of mistakes like we we just stuff that we had already passed in the in the u.s event kind of came back and did some damage in the japanese event so it's just it's just a weird culture and you kind of have to fix all the problems from a different area but yeah, it, yeah. the expectation couldn't have been higher for that event because it's we're trying to duplicate it and we couldn't so you kind of have to just fix it and move on
0: and and go over the next year. I mean, Japan is the mecca of fighting games, right? I mean, this is truly fighting games came from from here. Right. Um, do you have ambitions to move Evo to other locations around the world, uh, and or is this going to stay more of a U.S. Japan thing?
1: Japan's Evo is more a just a test market to see like yeah. how it works in another country because there's so many logistical problems and stuff like that. Uh, we're definitely have stuff on the radar for other countries, maybe Europe, maybe Korea, maybe Amsterdam, maybe uh, Australia, yeah. I mean, maybe Macau. Who knows? Like yeah. it's very open, but they have to have a scene, and you got to have people willing to come out to our event if yeah. we hold an event there. But I think it, Japan is a very test market kind of event. Like, hey, if we if we can duplicate this overseas, where else can we duplicate it?
0: Do you ever have cities that that? bid for you do you ever end up in a situations where uh and a lot of times this is where it can get really interesting as far as event organizing because you know places like new york they don't need to bid you know to, to get you there because there's everything's happened in new york but there's a lot of moments where cities want to be more on the map um i mean for the people listening to this this is one of the reasons why occasionally there's a, a tournament going on somewhere and you go why the fuck is there a tournament going on there, right? Right. And a lot of times it's because the city will pay you or, or or set up some kind of deal for you. Uh, do you get a lot of that? Yes,
1: it's happened a lot. Yeah. Uh, most recently, uh, the Dallas Cowboys stadium was like, "Hey, we want to, oh. we want to steal you away." But they have to understand that we get such a good deal in Vegas for that to happen. Your deal has to be incredible. Is
0: Vegas basically they, they have the best deals that in the U.S. Right? Vegas is is kind of built to just have people come in and come out. Right, and I, I think as long as your guys are in their hotel
1: spending money, they love yeah. you. And if they can do that, and with Evo, it's really cool because it's all inclusive. Yeah, you have a you have the the Friday and Saturday portion in the ballroom at Mandalay Bay. And the arena is actually in Manaday Bay on Sunday. So, they don't ever have to leave the hotel if they don't want to. Yeah, And hotels love that. Like, hey, I get five days of this dude spending money at restaurants and bars and gambling and drinking and shows. And, like, when you do that kind of stuff, they will love you to death. Yeah. So, I think Vegas is the perfect town, though. Like, you could bring your family. And they could go do other stuff. And you're playing video games. And maybe they come watch you. Maybe they come support you. But they can go around town and just do anything they want. And everyone has a family vacation together and it works out really well. So, I mean, places like New York have obviously come to us and said, Hey, what would it take to bring you to uh, like uh, New Jersey has their big uh, facility, uh, the basketball arena over there, Barclays center, which also put in a bid for Evo at one point. They're like, Hey, you should bring our event here, blah, blah, blah. But they don't seem to take us seriously when they make the offer. They're like, yeah, you just bring your event here and we'll charge you full price and you'll do whatever.
0: And, I was like, I'm not feeling the vibe over there. So, it, you mentioned Macau a little bit earlier. Is it, I know Macau is is um, I think some people might not know this, but it's actually a big, larger gambling center yeah. even than Las Vegas. You're right. Uh, mostly, mostly Chinese gamblers there. Um, but I, 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 out of curiosity, I don't know how much you've talked to uh, places in Macau, but how, how do they compare to Las Vegas as far as venue? Business? I
1: mean, they're definitely building it to compete, and yeah. they definitely have a lot of like unique. Buildings and and uh, stuff over there to kind of house an event like Evo. Yeah. <clears throat> so I mean, we haven't really talked very seriously about it, but yeah, that's yeah. definitely on my radar. Of like, hey, this is like the 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 Asian version of Vegas. So yeah, let's yeah. try to. F- have you been there before? I have never been there before.
0: It's it's really interesting because m- my first time uh, going to Vegas was incredible. Like I was blown away. Vegas is very impressive, and Macau, like, it feels like they haven't quite caught up to the to the. I guess the glamour, the glitz that, that Vegas has. Right. like Vegas kind of knows what it's doing. And Macau is, um, I don't know, it's, it, it's a very different feel. But I, i it, it's got to be competitive, right? Yeah. Like,
1: I mean, obviously, they're probably trying to get all the Chinese people to come over there, yeah. right? Like, yeah.
0: that's their whole goal. Because for people listening, it, it's illegal to gamble in China. Right. But you can hop right over to Macau. Right. I don't know if you knew about this. This is so weird. It's illegal for Koreans to gamble in Korea, but not for foreigners. So I can gamble. That, that's crazy. Yeah. I don't know how Koreans aren't riding in the streets over this. Like, this would never fly in America. In America right. And I'd be like, what do you mean other people can gamble here and we can't? Gamble? Yeah. That's yeah. a little, I mean, the U.S. has weird laws like that. It's like some
1: states you can gamble online in and sometimes you can't. Or you can. can be like
0: on a boat in the river. And- yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Just weird stuff like that. But, I mean, I think Macau could compete, but... I mean, if they're just going after, I don't think they're going after the tourist kind of event yeah. stuff. They're going after actual gamblers.
0: Yeah, that's so, true.
1: So once they figure out, like, hey, we need to expand like Vegas did, because Vegas for in the '80s, '90s, and 2000s was all about gambling. Like, yeah. how much you're spending, how much you're doing. That's the that's the return they get. Yeah. Then they kind of converted it over to like it's a convention town, it's a show town. It, they get more uh, people coming in just for that kind of stuff over gambling now. Yeah, so they kind of just turned a corner with in Vegas. So. It'd be interesting to see if Macau actually turns a corner and says we want to get the tourist faction in here. Yeah. And go from there. But I, I think right now they're just just pure going after gamblers. Is
0: in the US is there a number two city? Is there like I don't know, New Orleans or, or some place that, that that is is comes close to, to good offers for, for venues?
1: Uh Ironically, it's Los Angeles because Los Angeles can house because oh, really? they have their convention center is super big, yeah. And they also do Comic Con like in San Diego, so they have space there too, yeah. And LA has the hotels and the kind of infrastructure to do it, uh, like an event like that. So, EVOs became just so big that we can't be housed in a lot of smaller venues, yeah. Now. So, our pickings are pretty slim if we ever wanted to move it or if we wanted to go to a different hotel. Like this year, we've upped the floor space to now a half a million square feet, which is unprecedented for an FGC event, let alone an actual convention in Las Vegas. So, I mean, it's going to be very hard to move it out of Las Vegas at this point because we think we found a good home and and I think it's a perfect fit for our attendees. So it would take an incredible offer from like LA or from New York or New Orleans or Seattle or any one of these places that have convention spaces to kind of get us to move. So I think we're good for the next five years, but I mean, yeah.
0: time will tell. Is, is it a, a balancing act trying to figure out like how often to do Evo? I mean, you know, there's, there's some events. We do this with Starcraft, right? How many seasons of GSL do we want to have a year? Right. Because it, how meaningful does it become? Right. There has to be a certain right. amount. Uh, do you, do you have that issue with Evo and trying to figure out how often to put it on? And, and,
1: uh, So in, uh, in 2006, 2007, we had Toyota as a, as a title sponsor and their whole thing was we want to do Evo North, South, East, and West. Yeah. And so we kind of executed that. And what we kind of found from that was the people that go to Evo East were like, Hey, I've seen an Evo event. I don't need to go to Vegas. And then we kind of realized, Oh, we're not doing the same level of event as we are in Las Vegas. Yeah. The more you put out. Right. And so, and then there was other FGC events that do kind of a season year round. You got final round, you got column breaker, you got CEO, you got SCR, you got just events that cover the calendar. And so we just kind of decided, let's just be the Super Bowl, Like let's just be the one event a year that we find out who the actual de facto champion of the world is and kind of do it that way and and that way we can just throw all of our eggs into one basket and make a really cool event yeah and i have to worry about saturation because saturation in the FTC is crazy yeah like at one point two years ago there was a smash tournament every single day of the year like what really? that's crazy what like the? yeah like <laughs> like if you that. wanted to play melee at <clears throat> any point you could go to a tournament throughout the week and play every single day it was crazy yeah and that's a, Saturation is a huge thing in the FGC. They,
0: they had this problem with uh, when StarCraft 2 came out because that was the second esports boom, basically. Right. And it was like... I remember I was doing a, our show, our finals in Korea, and there was also a tournament going on, um, I think, in LA, and then another major tournament going on in Sweden. And it's like, yeah. who the fuck's the best then? Exactly. We have... This is... I mean, the, the technical term is market confusion, but it's like, well, we don't even nothing means anything because all the players aren't here right you know and and so it's like well this is the best person in the convention hall right you know (laughs) exactly
1: that's why we that's why evo's become so big that no one wants to be around our weekend because
0: there's a tournament going on right now right is genesis
1: yeah genesis 7 is in uh california and uh we announced first but we didn't announce smash at the time because it takes a while to get a license from nintendo to kind of announce it and uh, they announced Smash, and they had great registration numbers. and Then we announced Smash, and then the Japanese community, who doesn't really travel for anything, was like, "Hey, let's just go to Evo." And oh, so, okay. yeah. but we thought different different continents, uh, different time frame. Like we're on, they're on, like right now, and we're uh, just finishing our air. So it doesn't yeah. really conflict in terms of viewership and a different time frames. But yeah, on the same weekend does suck. Because yeah, you yeah. want to get all the content and all the players to your event to make it the best it can be. And I think that's why Evo uh, World in, in Vegas does that a really good job is we put our event out, the date out, like, 9, 10 months early. It's like, hey, we're staking this weekend. If you want to compete with us, you'll not do well, but we just want to yeah. make sure that we get everyone who is competitive into one place and find out who the world champion is.
0: Um, one of the, I, I imagine one of the difficulties about... um running something this big is first of all, like out of all the things in the world, in my experience that people are passionate about, I think the most is is video games, right? And you're running this big event with all these different games. And this means so much to people, but um, there are are people that are haters. People get mad at you. I've experienced this as a caster. Like there's been periods where Starcraft two is like, maybe like in heart of the Swarm, it was just not a good version of the game. And my casting wasn't as good. Um, and I was getting hated on and it's, it's kind of weird because it's like, well, I'm also having the same problems you guys are having in the game. But, you yeah. know, uh, uh, d- is it stressful being a public figure and, and being a, I guess, an elder and a leader in something that it, it is, it's a lifestyle. It's so important to people. It, it's people's passions.
1: Yeah. Obviously the term, if you don't have haters, you're not doing something right means yeah. a whole lot because these people are so passionate and they love evo but they don't love some of the decisions that we have to make and we have to make hard decisions sometimes what games make our main roster what kind of inclusion do we have for everyone who's comes to the event and then gets knocked out early we've got stuff to do and like i can't have fun online anymore like with twitter if i say one little mean thing they'll turn into a meme and they'll blow me up and yeah it's it's the way it's the way it goes now i feel like kind of like a blue poster in blizzard where anything i say will be picked up for a news outlet now yeah it's gotten to that point where i can't even i have to be and we had to who would have thought a fighting game tournament would have to have pr yeah like in my wildest dreams that would have never happened but we have to have pr now because if we say the wrong thing or we do the wrong thing we get fried publicly So it's it's definitely very stressful in terms of just like having to do the right thing and we love that our fans are super passionate. Yeah. And if you don't hear feedback, you're not doing something right. So if we're doing something wrong, we're gonna hear about it and maybe we will change the decision or make it better next year. But we definitely love the feedback of fans being so passionate to where it it can it can rock their world. So we definitely have to like pay attention to those kind of people.
0: Do you ever have you heard the term like imposter syndrome? Do you ever feel like it's weird that you're in this position and like you have all this responsibility and this started as a passion and now it is, there's an infrastructure and, and, and this is a thing that, that happens. I mean, as a fan of Evo and, and fighting games, it was like, oh, Evo's on. you know, Or that guy won Evo. You know, Was it right. American? Was it a Japanese player? Is, is, that, is that weird for you at all? It's
1: very weird. And I don't like <clears throat> that Evo has a lot of power, but we can determine like a fate of a fighting game like if if a fighting game is not doing well and then it's not at evo that game will die but if that game somehow gets it's doing okay and then evo this is what happened in Eunice last year under night and birth that game was very very uh underground very very passionate but it was very few people were playing the game and it was really cool and then we kind of bumped it up by having it in evo and that community just took off. Like it was like, oh, we we seen the light. Let's and then all these people who are pro players were like, hey, let's try out this game. Yeah. And I, it's very scary having that kind of power. And I wish we didn't have that power. Yeah. But when you build a brand like we have built it, where it's got global influence, like it's crazy how much like influence we have. Like what yeah. we say, if we go publicly and say, hey, Street Fighter sucks, then it carries some clout now. So. Right. You have to be really careful about that kind of stuff. And I think that uh, I would not like to have that kind of power. And we try not to get involved with the power struggles of of what games are top and what games are not and all that stuff. But we're definitely very aware of having the power to where we can influence uh, purchasing. We can influence, like, spectating. We can influence if these people want to play this game continuously after the launch. It's, it's
0: very crazy that we are where we are now do you um actually let me let me ask this question and i, I know this wasn't your idea but like what does what it deal with there's a controller for a prize for the smash i can't get into that you can't get into that no okay. uh yeah I've, I've, so I've japanese, I, haven't, I haven't asked anybody this yet and, I, and it's yeah i'll, ahead, I'll say
1: japanese law does not prevent any kind of prizes over a certain amount of the entry fee it's 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 a very hard thing when you're dealing with a tournament in japan because the laws are so archaic here yeah
0: this is one of the reasons why esports is big in korea right and not in japan not yeah yeah the, the government will even fund esports events in right. korea they're they're big on the cultural exports of that nature where um and obviously it's not for you but for people listening like if you go into an arcade in japan um Pachinko machines. I
1: I was just about to talk about that. Yeah. That's how they gamble in an arcade. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how they skirt the laws in Japan. Yeah. So in Pachinko, you place the metal balls into the thing and you win metal balls back. And then you go to the store next door and you trade the metal balls for like a coupon or a voucher. And then you take that voucher to the next door to get a prize. Yeah. That's how they skirt the laws. And when you're like, we thought about like, hey, we have a third party company maybe offer. A flight to evo or, or or just some kind of pricing, it gets a little complicated with the government because they're like who owns this company that's paying out who's doing this <laughs> yeah. and so the way we get around that is we make a free tournament in japan that way none of those laws apply yeah and that's why the evo japan is a free tournament because then we can pay out a million it's yen o- open
0: open and it's or, open right, tournament you just sign up and you can right. play yeah which also means you end up with people that don't show up yeah they're they're not obligated financially or anything correct and uh that's just the the
1: the way it goes in japan so you either go the route the rule is you can only pay out 20 times what the entry fee is maximum yeah so if you collect ten dollars you can only pay out a maximum of like two grand
0: what's weird about this and i don't know if we're going to get to the answer to this right but, but but what's weird about it is that it is illegal to gamble <laughs> in Japan, but gambling is everywhere. Yeah, um, and I'm not a, again. I'm not a Japanese legal scholar, but from what I understand, gaming is viewed. Uh, making money off of a game is viewed as gambling, even though we both know that you know uh, any esport is actually a mind game. It's a it's a competition. It's a, it's a game of, of ability and skill. Um is, is there not one? Uh, walk around like some loophole here to, to make that easier in japan i mean we've done massive oh, like research on this p- and, p- and we were yeah exactly I like don't like,
1: know. Yeah. like we've actually done research and trying to figure out the best yeah. scenario for a fighting game tournament in japan and yeah it's really hard and so we're just hoping that i mean the current government is now handing out esports licenses yeah to winners of tournaments and then they can receive more payout than a normal is and so we're hoping the government is just okay we're gonna get on board with this esports train and change the laws yeah but until they do that we're stuck with the current system which is currently broken yeah and there's no real good workaround. and i think what you've seen us do at evo japan is kind of the best scenario for that yeah yeah but if until they change the laws well, this we're is, as far as
0: i can tell the most difficult market yeah actually to work in like i i think if people because most of the people listen to this are in, are in the united states or europe but like Esports is, is big everywhere except for Japan, which is weird. Like, I've been in Korea for 12 years. And one of the reasons I didn't go to Japan initially for travel um, is I just assumed that there was going to be esports stuff here. So I'm going to end up here anyways. And I might as well just wait for someone to pay for my ticket to go right. there. And then I'll just do that. Um, so I was going to places like Cambodia and Mongolia and just you know, places <laughs> where there's not going to be an esports event. Right. But um, like in Southeast Asia, it's, it's blowing up. In Vietnam. Uh, In Indonesia, but like Japan, it's not catching on. Um, I think maybe I'm wrong, but is part of this a cultural thing with Japan? They they definitely have like a way of doing stuff, and and I don't know. Japan is very old school. Like they
1: they're just an old school mentality, and what they've done in the past works for them. Yeah, and they don't like to change stuff. Yeah, Uh, I can. This is kind of reminds me of like when uh, the early like end of the end of the century like 1990 early 2000s they were ahead in the technology war like cell phones were like crazy out of control in japan yeah and everything like, was
0: very futuristic yeah and they very, were just yeah. ahead
1: of the game and then yeah. all of a sudden that turned around and now like their cell phone technology is crazy behind and they People just still
0: use fax machines yeah it's, yeah
1: it's 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 a very old school mentality and they don't like change at all yeah and they don't adapt to this this current surroundings and then they're just gonna get left behind yeah so unless some People get involved with the government or esports in general over here, and kind of show them, like, "Hey, you need to change your ways; otherwise, esports is not going to be a thing in Japan. Yeah. That it might just die here." And people were like, "It's too difficult to work in Japan. Let's just go elsewhere." Yeah, yeah. And so I think that the fact that we do have an Evo Japan event is pretty crazy because the amount of loopholes and and stuff we have to jump through just to get stuff done is crazy enough. So maybe it becomes too difficult, and we have to move the event elsewhere. But who knows? But if they don't start changing their tune and kind of working with the video game people or, or the, the community members, then esports is never going to be a real thing in Japan.
0: Thank you for doing this interview, by the way. No I problem. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you're a busy guy. We have a short after show. It's just like us continuing to talk, but it's maybe 10 more minutes. Sure. That's okay. That's fine. All right, cool. Thank you again, man.
1: Yeah, no problem. All right, it was a very, very good show. Thank
0: you, dude. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. That was actually one of my favorite interviews I've done for the podcast. Um, again, I will be streaming on Monday and Thursday. Um, I know some of you have also been asking when will people be able to come down to the studio. We'll be announcing uh, when that is. I, obviously, we don't know yet, but uh, if you want to come see the show live, eventually when things get better, please feel free to come down to see GSL uh, in person. Uh, we'll be announcing that when it's, when it's safe. And... Um, yeah, that's it, guys. So I'll see you guys uh, on my Twitch stream. Again, next episode will come out next week. I love you guys. Stay safe. Keep washing your hands and social distancing. And um, I'll see you again soon. This podcast was produced by State. Artwork by Alarice. Music by Mark Lentz. Special thanks to our top supporters, Seth N, Rohit Somebody, and Charlie Sheever. I love you guys. We'll be back again soon. Bye-bye.